0: Awesome! Hey, it is so good to be here with each of you. As Jim said, I, I've got big roots here. This is my home church, um, all right, it, in my heart still. Like I, Cornerstone is who I tell people is, is my home church and my hometown. And it, it is just a huge privilege to to be here with each of you this morning, and a privilege to bring the word. And so, thank you for allowing me to be here to to preach the word. And yeah, it's just really it, it's such a privilege and an honor to be here. So. Thank you, it's, and it's, it's good to see all, uh, all your faces and some new faces, and so, yeah, uh, yeah, just really good. Um, so, um, you can open up your Bibles if you brought them, or on your phone, I don't care, John, John chapter 1, um, yeah, John chapter 1, we're going to look at the first 18 verses, and as, as Jim already said, like, all summer long um, here at Cornerstone, you have been in a core training series. And this month is the first month of uh, presence and creativity um, unleashing beauty. Okay, that's one of the core values here at Cornerstone. And when Justin asked me a few months ago to preach, um, I was really excited about beginning that core value because I was automatically drawn towards the idea of presence. Okay, presence and and relationship. And so um, it's something that God has really been... Leading me down the road the last few years of how do we do a relationship, you know how is God a relational God, and so um, we're going to zero in on that idea today. Is this idea of, of presence, and, and even even from the larger standpoint, how God um, uses His presence, draws us into His presence, and through that He He creates something new and beautiful in in ourselves. And so that's where we're going to be today. We're going to look at incarnational presence, um. And as, you guys are probably already there, but John John, chapter 1, um, okay, John is writing his gospel, um, writing his gospel, um, and he desires, he, this is a guy who has walked deeply with Jesus. He was a disciple, walked deeply with him for three years. He, he called himself the beloved disciple. He was someone who, who knew Jesus deeply, not just things about Jesus, but knew him personally, knew Jesus' temperament, his, the, the way that Jesus responded to the situations, how Jesus lived his life. And John writes his gospel, and we, we know from the chapter 20, is that he writes so that you and I would experience Jesus. He writes that I write to you so that you would hear and believe in Jesus, see what he did, and believe and have life in his name. Like John wants you and I to experience the person of Jesus. 2,000 years later, to experience his presence. And so, um, we're going to look at the first 18 verses. Um, and the, the first 18 verses here, they really serve as a, a beautiful prologue. Okay, And I've been teaching through John with my, my youth group in Lancaster. And um, when I was teaching this initially, I, I called the first 18 verses a prologue, and I compared it to, I think it's a good comparison to compare it to um, the Star Wars saga. How many of you are Star Wars fans in, in the audience. Okay, yeah, some of you, thank you, Barry. Raising your hand. Some of you guys like Star Wars. I like to, to think of the first 18 verses as the beginning of one of those episodes where the, the words just jump out on the screen and the words serve as a catching you up to the backstory of what's been going on, okay? And John is is using this as a prologue to tell his his readers, his listeners, that here's where we've been in the story, okay? Because John's gospel... John's gospel is the continuation, the fulfillment and climax of the long story of Israel. The the long story of the Old Testament. And John is saying, here's where we're at. God has been acting and speaking all throughout the last few millennia. And here's where we're at. And so it's a prologue of of what God is about to do. And it's fulfilling this long story in so many different ways. So let's read this this together. Um, Verse 1. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, at the, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Okay. I'm going to pray. Um, Jesus, uh, we, uh, we uh, just desire to, to experience your presence this morning. we have experienced your presence, God. Um, thank you for being here among us. Thank you for being a God who is not like any other God, but a God who has drawn near. A God who's entered in the fullness of what it means to be human. A God who invites us to yourself to be in a deep relationship, God. A God who looks at our our situations and and says, you know, this isn't too much for me. And so God, um, would you bless this morning? Would you bless your word? And I pray that you would teach us what it means, um, to be people who are fully alive in you, fully human, God. Yeah. We bless your name, Jesus. Pray this in, in your holy name. Amen. Yeah. See you, Asa. Love you. Oh, man. Um, yeah. Okay, so, um, yeah, I, I was in seminary, and I, I even went to Lancaster Bible College and took a ton of ministry classes. And um, not to say that, like, I figured anything out. I, I haven't. But to say that um, in my ministry classes, we talked a lot about what does it look like to do ministry. And we asked the questions a lot of how do we do ministry. Like, there's a lot of how questions. And in, in Bible college, too, that's, like, the big question is how you know in theology classes how 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 was jesus fully god fully man okay how 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 was god fully present in this person okay how how did jesus atone for it? all these how questions okay um, there was a theologian in the early 20th century his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer this guy was crazy and i haven't read a lot of his stuff but this guy was crazy in that he was a, a lutheran pacifist and and it, but this this pacifist thought the best way to um, help the Jewish people and all the victims in World War II was to actually assassinate Adolf Hitler. Okay, he thought the best way to actually serve these people and, and align with their suffering and trouble was actually go after, after Hitler himself. And he actually got arrested, and he ended up dying um, before World War II ended. Um, he, he was martyred. But this guy thought that the how question was, was a question of unbelief, okay? Because you can have all the how questions on a whiteboard or something and figure it all out in a classroom, but it, the how question just, you, you don't have to encounter the living person of Jesus, okay? He thought that that was a question of unbelief. He thought the better question to ask was a question of who, because okay? it's a question of encounter. Who is this God on the cross? Who is this God who teaches with authority? Who is this person who, who heals the sick, who walks on water? Okay, that's a question of encounter, a question that implies that this God is living, and he's alive, and he invites us to walk with him. And so, and John, here in his gospel, John um, starts with that question. He's, he describes Jesus. And in the first five verses, he describes Jesus in three different ways. Okay, he calls Jesus the word. He calls Jesus the, the life. He calls Jesus the light. Okay. Think of a friend that you're really close to. Okay. If I would ask you to describe this person, would it be kind of strange to use nouns like these to describe this person? You would most likely describe this person with adjectives, like like a normal thing. But John, interestingly, describes Jesus with these nouns. Like he's the word, he's the life, He's the light, um, and this is who Jesus is. Okay, I want to zero in on the word "word." Okay, what do you think of when you think of the word "word"? And, I, and you guys can just shout it out honestly if you want to. Like, if I say, "Hey, when you think when you think of a word, what do you think of?" And, uh, text. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's right. Anyone else? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Con- consonants and vowels and and the phonics of words and yeah, that's right on. Anyone else? Okay, word. So, um um in the in the original language, let me see if this is. I had a feeling this was going to happen. Okay. You know what, Barry? Just do the do the next slide. It's cool. Yeah. This is the word So the word behind the word is logos. Let me hear you say logos. And if you've been here at Cornerstone, you probably have heard this word before. Okay, logos, it means literally a word. It could mean a message, a statement. It's a word that can mean like forms of communication depending on the context. A a huge array of meaning. John here in this text is calling Jesus the word. He's calling him the logos, the, the message, God's spoken word. He says that the Logos was with God, and the Logos um, was God. Okay, so Jesus, this is who Jesus is. He is the Word, okay? Um, this, is who, this is what Jesus is declaring. Go to the next slide, Barry. Jesus is the living Word. This Word is alive. Okay, go to the next slide. Thank you. So in the Bible project. Um, which some of you maybe have heard. Great videos on YouTube. I encourage you to check it out. I looked up Gospel of John, and in this part in the text, um, they describe words as something that is distinct from a person. It's still part of a person. It's the embodiment of a person's mind and will. Okay, And this is what John, I think, is is really trying to describe Jesus as. Is Jesus is distinct as the word, but he's also the embodiment of God. God's mind, his will, his fullness. So um, it's important as we look at this text to, to put ourselves in the original audience. And in the first century, when John would have spoke or wrote this, and your original audience listening to these words, most of his audience was Jewish, okay? Most of his audience would have grew up understanding the Old Testament scriptures. And as a Jewish person in this time, if you're hearing John's words, John's choosing very specific, intentional words here, very, like, he's very intentional. And if you're listening to these words and you hear, Gee, the Logos was God. Logos was with God. And all things were created through this Logos. And you would have jumped in your mind all the way back to Genesis 1. So um, go, go to the next slide, Barry. Genesis 1. Um, actually, I'm going to pretend this is youth group. Does someone want to read this for me? Because I know you guys are very participatory, and that's awesome. So, does someone want to volunteer and read this loud and proud? John, thank you. Thank you, John. So as a Jewish person listening to John's words, like this would have jumped right out at you. Like remember in the gospel of John, what John is doing is bringing this long story of Israel to its fulfillment and climax because the, the Old Testament didn't have a proper ending. It was very much yearning for this, this, this proper ending. And so you're reading um, John 1 or hearing it. This would have, like, do you see the parallels here? In the beginning, God and John. In the beginning was the word, okay? And, and what did God create? He created light. This word was, was light, the life of man. Um, question, how did God create in Genesis? Like, what was the, how did he do it? What was the means? He spoke, that's right. He spoke, and everything was created. And you read the rest of Genesis 1, and it's God spoke, and, and this was created. God spoke, and this happened. Um, it's all over Genesis 1. And, he, and, and here in John 1, we read that all things are created through the Word, and, and there was nothing that was created that wasn't, like, um, yeah, that wasn't made, okay? And, and the first thing God creates is life. I mean, a light. God creates light. Who is the Word? It is the life of Okay, the parallels here are just astonishing. And so if you're listening to John's words, is you'd be like, oh, God in the beginning created all things. Here in John 1, John is saying God is creating all things new. He's bringing about his new creation project. He's, he's doing this new thing. He's, he's redeeming the old and making an even more beautiful creation. Another thing, another thing that um, as a Jewish person, like when you hear the word logos or the word, you would have thought about the whole canon of the Old Testament. Um, we go to the next slide, Barry. Or, thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no. That's not good. Oh, wait, no, no, it's where, oh, nope, I, that was it. That's okay, there's only like three slides, so you can you can control it. I appreciate it. Um, go to the uh, psalm text, yeah. Um, so you would, as a Jewish person, you would have thought of the whole canon of the Old Testament when you heard the word logos, because the the word of God for the Jewish person was everything. Um, will someone read Psalm 119, please? I'm asking a lot for The Psalms um, are just so good at dis- describing the Word of God. Like, to the Jewish person, the Word of God was everything. They believed that God, Yahweh himself was so good and so loving that he gave them his Word. They, and, and they had the record of, of God's speech acts, how God spoke and interacted with them throughout history. And, and here we have, I believe this is David, just saying how sweet the Word of God is. How sweet it is. It's sweeter than honey. And and it's something to meditate upon when you're afflicted, and it's a light to my path. Here in John 1, John is saying, The word of God, which has life and light, he has come among you. Okay, the people of God in this time had the word of God. But the fullest revelation, John is saying, this is it. It is Jesus himself. What a great time that we live in as the people of God. Where they had the Old Testament scriptures, they had the record of how God spoke and interacted with His people. And now today, John is saying that you have the fullest revelation of Jesus, Jesus Himself, the Logos, the Word. And, G- and John makes it explicitly clear that Jesus is the Living Word, the Word that that created life in the beginning, the Word that created light, and the darkness does not overcome it. In this mystery. And we could talk about the how all day, but this mystery of the word of God being with God and God himself coming in the person of Jesus. And so um, I know you, Cornerstone, you, you love the scriptures. You love the word of God. That is so good. This is goodness in the midst of a culture and that, that pays millions of dollars in advertising to figure out how to keep our gaze on whatever You know, all the advertisements that are bombarded on us all day long and the apps that we use on our phones. Like, the Word of God is sweeter than honey, it's better than all of this false reality. This is reality. Um, Jesus is the fullest revelation of God, and the Word of God has and is alive. And we're blessed to know that we have the record. And Jesus isn't contained in a book, but He is revealed. He is revealed, and we have Jesus and the Spirit of God is here with us. Um, look down at uh, verse 14. We're going we're gonna to keep moving here. And the Word of God, or, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For, uh, verse 16, for from His fullest we have all received grace upon grace. Okay, I want to I wanna zero in here on this word dwelt. Okay, I'm reading from the ESV. Um, Is there any other translations that are different that you're reading from? No? Okay, so dwelt. How many of you um, use the word dwelt? Like, pretty often. Because I don't. Okay. Um, I think, so, like, the dwelt is a fine interpretation. And I'm not here to, who am I to critique the ESV? I'm nobody. Um, But the ESV, it's a fine translation, but, like, the word there also also explicitly means tented among, like tented in. And I, I really love that sort of idea because, number one, it calls upon the whole Old Testament narrative of this personal God who literally tabernacled, tented with his people. Like a God who cares deeply about being with us so bad, he sets it up that he can be with us. And he lived in a tent. And he later lived in a temple. And I really love that idea of that's that word um, meaning Tented among, tented in. Um, and secondly, like if you think of dwell, okay, not once did that like, I lived with my parents until I got married when I was 24, okay, a while back. I'm not going to some of you know how old I am. I told Jim earlier, but I, I lived a long time ago with my parents. And not once did someone, you know, when someone asked me, where do you live? And I, I, I never said, oh, I dwell with my, my parents. Now that, That'd be weird, right? And I think one time I might have used, maybe my friend Matt's house, I'm not sure. His house is haunted. Um, I had one experience, and it it freaked me out. But, like, I think one time I might have said, like, oh, there's a ghost that dwells in there. But there's this this idea of dwell. Dwell, like, speaks of this idea of, like, kind of hovering above. and, And... Not that we're here thinking this, but I think if you're reading this, you could think that, okay, God became a man, took on flesh, and dwelled just close enough to be with us, but not close enough to really, like, experience the messiness and the dirtiness of of life on life with us, okay? I think tinted in is a much better idea for us to understand this. Um, I really love uh, Eugene Peterson. I was looking at that this morning. Um, He actually, he wrote... um, in his paraphrase, that God moved into the neighborhood. Like, became a neighbor. Lived with us. A um, I, I, I note about tenting. Tenting is a very dirty business. Last, um, two weeks ago, um, like, I'm a youth pastor in Lancaster, and we just spent a week at the True Life cabin just north. And I know Tessa was telling me that Amplify is doing that, which is awesome. And, it was really surreal for me to be back and experience camp there. But tenting is a really dirty business. And if any of you have gone on vacation and, and tented with people, and we, you know, we were in the cabin, but like the idea still works. I, living with a bunch of high school boys, you know, by day two, you know, the axe is in the air and sweat and you got dirty clothing all over the place. And I was experimenting this past uh, camp. I brought a fog machine just to experiment with some lights and see if I can create the atmosphere for worship. Um, and my high school guys like hijacked my smoke machine. And for like two days straight, every time I'd go in the guy's room, it would just be like, bum- it was just a thick cloud of smoke. And I was just like, what is going on in here? And they, the joke for two days was like, oh, Mike, he's one of the volunteers. Mike's in there um, using his vape pen again. And that's all I heard for two days. And I was like, what in the world? And I just, I didn't care because this is what tenting about is. And at, two days later, I took the smoke machine. But um, I was just like, what in the world? Every time I go in here, there's smoke. But God, God took on flesh and tented with his people. Jesus came, took on flesh, and, and dwelled with us and came in the form of a man. And he, he tented with us and, like, didn't skip these hard parts. Like, didn't hover just over us so that he'd avoid the smoke in the guy's room or like avoid the smoke, the smell or the body odor or the axe or any of that. Like, God, like Jesus became a man, intended with us, and like took on the fullness of what it means to be human. And, a, and to what it means to be human is to experience limitation, experiencing real highs and real lows of life. And we all experience deep suffering. That's the human experience. We experience things that we don't ask for. And things happen to us, real hard things. And God didn't skip the hard parts. But he didn't. God, and and the, the gospel truth is, like, the how uh, and what I learned at Bible college of how do we do ministry? How do we do ministry? Oh, Jesus did incarnational ministry. So let's, let's do it how Jesus did. And so, like, let's use relationships to influence people. No, like, Jesus didn't use relationships to influence people. The incarnation, by its extension, means that Jesus suffered. Okay, and, and I don't know if we have much of a theology of that in youth ministry or maybe in the church in America. It's, incarnational ministry is a call to suffer for and with other human beings. Okay, that is incarnational ministry. Jesus didn't skip the hard parts. God so loved his people that he became a man, that he was born into poverty. Okay. He he was he was a, a child who was viewed as a, a born out of wedlock of controversy. Um, he was born already with the 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 politician ruler in his time being threatened by this baby that he, he tries to, to kill. Baby Jesus. And and Jesus grows up, and he experiences some of the worst hardship. He he experiences everything that you and I could experience. This guy, when he started his ministry, his own mom and his siblings thought he was crazy. They thought he lost his mind. Read about it in Mark four. They they went after. They're like, oh, we need to go after Jesus. He he's clearly not thinking straight. He felt I can't imagine feeling that misunderstood, and and but he was so secure in his relationship with his father that it didn't even matter. But then, later, you know, and all he's been doing is go around loving on people and touching unclean people and, and inviting people in a relationship with himself. Eventually, one of his closest guys, his closest friends, betrays him over, and for some money and, and hands him over to the government of, of the time. And can you imagine that? The, the feeling of emotion of one of your closest friends that you've invested into for the last three years, like g- goes behind your back and, and hands you over for, you know, some money. And, and Jesus goes to trial and he, he gets falsely accused and, and falsely found guilty. Like I would be so defensive and so just not, pe- I would be going crazy. And, and he, he gets handed over to one of the worst um, capital punishments known in mankind history. And he willingly, he willingly lays down his life. Jesus says that no one takes my life from me. I, the Son of Man lays his, his life down willingly. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus willingly took on the worst of suffering and misunderstanding and hardship and he does it because that was the way for us to, to have relationship with him. Like Jesus didn't skip any of this hard stuff. God becomes a man, walks a lonely road, goes to the cross. He dies willingly, experiences the worst suffering and death, trusting in his heavenly father that his heavenly father would vindicate him and, and bring about a new way for us to have a restored relationship with with him. What a beautiful God. What, what an amazing story. The word became flesh and tented among his people. And you know, when I'm at, when I'm at camp, like two weeks ago, it was just such a, just such a special time because um, it was just high school students and some of my adult leaders. And I really, by like, you know, Wednesday, they were all going crazy. Bouncing off the walls and like, relational tensions coming out, the real dirtiness and messiness of relationships. Like when you're living that close in proximity, things come out and there's like hard things that you need to talk about, work through. But by Thursday, it was like the seating during meals that they sat since Monday, that the chart in their heads was thrown out the window and they were sitting with other people they weren't sitting with. And by Thursday night, we had a fire and everyone was saying how how um, they all felt like belonged to this group and welcomed and how they were getting to know their brothers and sisters in Christ and this new family and, and sharing their fears and what's on their heart and just everything God was, it was just such a beautiful picture of Christian community. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus came to invite us into this new community where you and I, like we, because of God becoming a man, we, the truth is we are now free to be fully human, you and I. Okay, sin and the choices we make distorts our humanity and and leads us down a subhuman path, but Jesus was the one human who lived totally free as a human, and because of what Jesus did, incarnating himself, experiencing suffering, and, and raising a full victory over the grave, you and I are now free to be human, to feel what we feel, to, to, have, to embrace our limitations, embrace the ways that we, we fall short because God meets us in those places. God already has in the person of Jesus. Um, you can go to the next slide, Barry. The living word took on flesh. God saw to be human with us. And because of what Jesus did, God stands. He still stands. He's, the word of God is alive and he stands for. with us and whatever you're going through whatever I'm going through Jesus is present and Jesus is saying hey your suffering is not too much for me And, and you're suffering because you live in a broken world and things happen but I've already overcome the world I rose in full victory three days later from the grave and Jesus is saying come be with me share what's on your heart Share your raw emotion. Because it is only only through suffering and only through hardship and loss, God uses that to bring about resurrection. There's no resurrection apart from that. And we, we stand as people who have hope that suffering won't be forever, or loss, or whatever life throws at us. The worst of hells. Jesus went all the way to hell. And came back. And it is through that, that God brings about transformation through his own incarnational presence. And now, go to, the, um, go to the next slide. This is the last slide, I think. The living word leads us into relationship. Okay, look down at your text again. Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. When, when I read that, I so easily think about myself and like it, the things I think about are true. Like, oh, I'm a, I'm a son of God now. I'm a child of God. I'm in the, I'm in the family. Um, God's my father now. I'm in a restored relationship. But like I, I so quickly forget that like I'm, I'm born again, but I'm born again into a family. With brothers and sisters. And, in, you know, and you know what? In family, relational tension happens. And hardship happens. But the, the crazy thing is that's how God set it up. That you and I would be in a family. And, and that is how, that's how. You cannot mature and grow on an island by yourself. We grow and mature in a, a close-knit family. When relational crap hits the fan when you have to look your own crap in the face or someone else's crap and, and to, to, be, to be present. Like we are born again into a family and that's how God grows us and, and matures us and that's the, the business that God's into is you and I maturing and growing together. Spiritual maturity. God wants to grow us in emotional, spiritual maturity. Um, together, we're the community of God. We are the body of Christ, the family of God. And you and the Christ is present among us right now in our relationships. He's, he's present when you hear the word. He's present when we take the sacraments together. Like this is the Spirit of Christ is here. And He's present in our relationships. He's present even when the, the relational stuff gets hard. Because God, like through that, through engaging that, God brings about new life and transformation. And and, and through that we are able to become, to embrace the way that we um, are human and how we hurt people. Because it is through that 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 God grows us. Um, this is how God set it up that you and I would be a family. Um, Christ also invites us to follow him into the world. Okay? Um, the presence of God is with us. but And, and we are the concrete place that, Christ lives, but Christ is also present. He's for and with every single human on this earth because he already came as a human and experienced, like, he, he came and suffered with and for humanity as a whole. And so you and I, like, we are called to follow Christ into the world, outside of these walls, to be in relationship with regular people who maybe don't know Christ, because God, like, not for a means of any end other than to, to be in genuine relationship with them. Um, God, is already, God is already at work, okay? And I think the American church, um, we are so busy building our own little empires and building our own programs and building, like, our own little kingdoms and asking people, hey, come, come be a part of this thing okay and and we need to stop and we need to ask the question what is God already up to okay, God is is already standing for and with every single person on this earth and he's asking he's inviting us as the church to, to go where he is going okay he's concretely present in the relationships that we have with people Jesus literally says, you know for the, what you do for the least of these you do it unto me." I think Jesus is being serious. Like, what you, what you do for people, people who are needy and suffering, you're doing it for Jesus because Jesus already came in the fullness of humanity. Um, and so, I want to ask the question, like, why are you in the relationships that you're in? Okay, for what purpose? Okay, because God is, is in the business of genuine relationship. Okay, there's no, it's, there's no sales pitch it's just loving people because they're, they're human and they're people. Um, I moved back from Florida in January. And like a month or two after moving back, I was invited to hang out with some of my old high school friends. from um, Friends I was with on the hockey team. And um, people who I don't know if I met today I would necessarily be friends with. But they're people who I genuinely care about. I have all these memories. I played hockey with these guys. And all of them, I don't think, are, like, trying to follow Christ. Um, and a part of me, my fearful side is, like, oh, if people would see this, like, people at my church, like, if they would see this, would they think less of me? I'm hanging out with these sort of people. Would they judge me for that? And the more I thought about it, after hanging out with them, after so long I'm not hanging out with them, I was, like, I, I felt this weird soul, this feeling of solely, uh, holy significance from God, because God was saying, hey, you love these people, because they're, they're your friends, and they're not my, like, core community. Um, They're not the people I allow to necessarily speak into my life, Um, but they're people I shared memories with, and people who I genuinely care about, and care about what they're going through. And the beautiful thing that's freeing to me is, I don't need to feel pressure to, to preach the gospel, Or share Jesus at every moment. Because the truth is God is already present in the relationship. God is already standing there. And maybe sometimes just being a person who's a whole human, who knows my limitations, who knows when to say no about things, and not just be completely open so I can share the gospel and and be completely open as a salesman. No, not at all. That's freeing to me to be like, I can sit with these people, feel what they're feeling, encourage them, and be myself. And I felt such a holy significance since moving back from Florida, feeling like, wow. Ten years ago, I was trying to impress these guys. I don't feel this pressure anymore at all. Maybe a little bit sometimes, but like, because I want them to like me. But no, like, I know who I am. I don't feel any pressure to make them believe anything. And they're human. And and I'm going to share my heart and my dreams and my, sometimes my fears with these people. The, um, my therapist told me, and this, this really um, stood out with me, but there's freedom in knowing that nobody can stop you from being you, who you are as a human being, how, how you've, you're limited and how you've experienced loss and suffering and how you need to sometimes say no because you're human. There's freedom in knowing that nobody can stop you from being you. That's freeing. And and so so I asked the question again, like why are you in the relationships that you're in? For me, for a certain relationship, I do it because I like these people and I want to be myself and I want to draw up their own humanity in a world that's increasingly telling us that it's not okay to be human and have feelings and have your own thoughts and you need to just, you know, be part of the system. Yeah. God God is a God who is incarnated, who is crucified, who's resurrected, who, who's experienced the worst that, that life could throw at him. He, he took it all to be with us, to dwell among us, to invite us into this family. And so for some of you, may, I don't know a lot of you, but if do you feel known? Do you feel known here at Cornerstone? I would, I'd be curious and, and talk to God about that. And who may God be drawing you to here? Who may, who may God be drawing you to start a relationship with? For no other purpose than to just have a relationship, to share your heart, your fears, your desires, your stories. And, and who, who here at Cornerstone, who is, who is someone that you can, you can hear their stories and do genuine relationship with? Um, yeah. I'm gonna pray. And uh, thank God for this time together. God, um, thank you so much for being a God who didn't just dwell among us, but you're a God who tented in and with us. You're a God who is so for and with his people um, that you experience the worst of hells that life could throw at you. All so that we could have a restored relationship with you, God. Um, and to be born into a new family, God, a family where we belong, a family that we can be known and to know. Um, God, thank you for caring deeply about our stories, our pains, our joys, and who invites us to to learn what it means to be fully alive, fully human. Yeah. Yeah, God, um, bless this time together. We praise you, and we uh, we thank you for being a good God. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.